So welcome to another episode of Uplifting Conversations. Uh, today's conversation will be with my friend, Sam Yushio. The word that I keep coming back to is uplifting. I have this conviction based on my lived experience that uplifting people or the planet doesn't have to be draining. It can actually feel uplifting to the person who's making that impact. Uh, today's conversation will be with my friend, Sam Yushio. Uh, and we'll, we'll explore Sam's uh, uplifter's journey here, how he came to dedicate his life to improving well-being, not only in wealth management, but beyond. And we'll hear all about uh, his latest venture, uh, Connect3x. Uh, so welcome, Sam. Thanks, Toussaint. Great to be here. Super excited to spend some time with you and uh, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. So so Sam and I, I was trying to think before uh, before this how we how we met and it was uh very sam in tucson uh setting so it was a mindfulness-based emotional intelligence organization that was doing a talk uh that actually i was in a conversation um it's a it's an organization i advise search inside yourself i was doing a talk on how uh, mindfulness and emotional intelligence might help uh improve things, uplift things from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. Um, and Sam heard that I happen to also be in the wealth management space. And all of those kind of intersection of interest was, was too much for us uh, not to connect. So Sam reached out and we have been uh, dear friends ever since. So I've been on Sam's podcast, uh, which will not be nearly as interesting as, as Sam joining me here today. Uh, we've done uh, the Just Listen project together where I got to hear about uh, Sam's story um, and, and cultural background um, and, and just sort of more about him as a human being, which was beautiful. Uh, but today we're going to unpack Sam's journey as an uplifter. And so so just as a reminder, and then by, by way of education for you, Sam, this whole idea of uplifting, not only uplifting capital, but uplifting conversations um, is really at this intersection of how we uplift ourselves by uplifting others. So uh, finding personal fulfillment through, through creating a positive impact on other people, uh, the planet, or the economy. Uh, in, in finance or in impact investing, there's this concept impact alpha, where you generate a positive financial return uh, through the same thing that brings the positive impact. Those two things sort of some to come together and, and, and have this synergistic uh, positive impact on both finances and, and, uh, and the planet. So here we're talking about this same sort of synergistic impact on the emotional well-being of people. And so who better talk to than, than you say? <laughs> uh, the moons were aligned, Tucson, like so many moons that we, that we would, uh, collide and connect and and so like it, it was it was almost like it took too long for us to to uh to connect but i'm super grateful that we have in a meaningful way likewise likewise uh and so i i want to i want to just talk a little bit about your resume so we can get through that and then we can we can jump into the the meat of the conversation which is kind of just your your journey and all the grit of that and so uh have uh, most recently, at least in the in the asset management, wealth management space, uh, been a director at a, at a global asset management firm, uh, leading practice management uh, and, and uh, kind of uh, advising advisors on, on how to grow and how to improve their practices, 
uh, have your have your MBA from from UW, uh, roots in in Nebraska, uh, and 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 kind of family man. So I, I know we talk often about our kids and and our heroic wives that we both admire. Um, so all of all of that is important and, and beautiful and great. But what I really want to unpack is this whole idea of how you got to be in this place of focusing on well-being and bringing that to people and organizations from the wealth management space. And really, it's important, I think, to unpack these journeys uh, to not skip over the hard stuff. And so you, you may be finding fulfillment now and you may have, be at this kind of well, well, living ikigai, right? Like you may be at this intersection of purpose and, and work and profits, uh, but that started somewhere. And, and typically, that's not on a high note. <laughs> so uh, I would love to go back. Uh, I know in your case, this is we're in 2018 probably, or maybe we're earlier than 2018. What was the impetus for, for you kind of pivoting and going in the direction that you're at now? And you can go, go back as early as, as uh, is significant for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love that setup too. That's, that's, that's it, the context is, is, um, especially important as well as mentioning that it's not, it's not all, you know, unicorns and, and rainbows. Like there's some, there's some tough spots in there. So, um, it probably the right entry point, uh, for me personally. So I, I always start with the word growth, right? So I had worked in financial services for roughly two decades. Uh, the bulk of that time was, uh, spent, uh, leading a practice management team. We had scaled that team from coaching about 80 advisors per year to working with a thousand advisors per year. And, you know, the word growth was always very present. We were even using that nomenclature internally that they're called growth programs. And so what I had observed was that growth was always connected to, to money, right? And that was either through growing the portfolio, growing the P&L, growing the valuation of the enterprise. And I was observing and working with this, this incredible team that was working with all these advisors that oftentimes personal growth was being compromised on a quest for financial growth. And so eventually observing that in the industry for some, some awareness and recognition that my pattern of decision-making was the same. I was jumping on planes, going to you know four cities in, in five days and had child number one and child number two and child number three and, and just really feeling that feeling stretched, right? The quest for, for financial growth versus personal growth. Kind of the epicenter of where all this happened, kind of the, the signature moment for me personally uh, was um, February 9th of 2017. So I had flown, so I'm based in Seattle, flew out to New York uh, for an industry conference and walked into a midtown Manhattan ballroom and experienced a, an amygdala hijack, like froze, sat there and really couldn't couldn't go into that room. And it, this is a big room, right? It's like 700, 800 people in this room. And I uh, took a picture of that room and sent it to myself that said the exact opposite of this. Mm -hmm. And so eventually kind of took that step into that room and through a series of just interesting presentations, in particular, one presenter, an ethics professor, um, talking about the meaning, meaning in life, essentially, uh, 
that 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 was this moment where I made this conscious decision that I'm going to chart my course differently. Right now, there's some important context here. So one thing that I've done that I'm very passionate about is at the time I was 40 years old, a month and a day. And so there is there is all this research on on midlife and just the, you know, when there's this kind of punchline that I used to say about the midlife, you know, maybe there's a midlife decision. I've done some some digger deep, deep, deeper digging into that. And there's empirical research that supports all this. So that's that's a part of it, I think. Um, but but ultimately, it was this this quest to to find a, an evolved definition of growth. Um, you, so when you, when you yeah. say like you, you took a picture of, of that room, yeah. uh, were you seeing yourself in that room? So, so, so were you, were you in the, uh, I, I call it the observer seat, uh, at least in my mindfulness practice, I feel like I can get into this seat where I can see myself and I can see the circumstances of my life and, and all, were you seeing yourself represented in that room? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I've learned about that moment and that picture in particular uh, is that at the time I thought it was the room. In reality, it was me. Right. The thing that mm -hmm. that exact opposite of this represented was not it had nothing to do with that room. It was just how I was showing up. And so that took, you know, that took some time. And when we talk about the bumps, like there were some bumps along the way where it was always like, well, it's the industry or, or it's that thing or it's that whatever. Um, and the realization is, you know, we have control, we have agency, we have the ability to chart our course. It's never easier. It's most likely it's not going to be as easy as we anticipate, but we have that opportunity. And so I, I think to answer your question, um, it was, it was the exact opposite of this was, was me. And so I think that's what was speaking to me at that time. And then through a, through a series of um, incredible presenters that were saying the right thing at the right time. It was just, I felt this compelling call. And so, and so I, I, I want to uh, scratch a little bit more at that uh, where you were emotionally. Cause I think it's, I think it's important. Uh, one of the things uh, Daniel Pink uh, talks about uh, in the context of his, his book power of regret and around that book is how we can find what we want most at times in um, what we regret most. And so uh, I would love uh, to hear you unpack when you say it was you and you wanted the exact opposite. What was uh, the emotional lack or 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 the piece of you that felt resistance? Um, what were you resisting? What what did you regret about where you were at that time that ultimately led you to to do something different? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, what immediately comes to mind is, and this is probably part of the reason why I mentioned this, you know, this mid life, mid stage of life is that, uh, you know, um, David Brooks wrote a book called The Second Mountain. And so I think of, of, and essentially what, what the, 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 this book is about is your first mountain is checking a lot of boxes that, that society kind of tells you are important. Find a partner, get a good job, you know, white picket fence, all that type of stuff. And you get to the top of that mountain and you look around, and you're like, okay, the boxes are checked, but I don't feel fulfilled. Something's off internally. And so you look to that second mountain and that second mountain is about purpose and living with a moral life and giving back to, to society and others. Um, but the challenge is between those two mountains is the valley. 
and the <laughs> valley is designed to like you know beat you up and send you back to the first mountain and so i think emotionally that really captures how i was feeling the boxes that were checked were great mm-hmm. um but i just felt like i wanted to do something more the scary part of it was i didn't know what what that more was and it and that's kind of where it tur- takes that takes that turn down potentially down a dark alley because i was just like i'm gonna throw myself into this i'm gonna figure it out yeah um but I, yeah i think that that's probably the, the best way to capture that yeah no and it's interesting so i i had a similar experience actually transitioning to wealth management um after having my first uh actually starting to think about it after having my first kid and then after having our our, our twins like kind of leaving a, a really cool law practice and great firm um, to go into kind of this fulfillment focused wealth management. One of the things that uh, I got asked about at that time was, well, you know, as a dad and as a provider, like, how can you be pivoting to this less certain situation? And what what I ultimately got to was like, so I can either provide my kids uh, kind of their needs or I could provide them an example. And if they were at this exact same decision point with you know the same number of infants and toddlers in the house, I would hope that they made this exact same decision rather than going toward uh, safety and comfort or staying anchored in safety and comfort actually went toward what seemed to be their purpose-driven, fulfilling uh, sort of calling. And so it was really this whole idea of, being a different kind of provider that gave me safety and comfort that this was the best thing for my family. I love that. I love that. I think, uh, I mean, that definitely resonates, you know, that I think when you think of the the path that you're carving a big, a big inflection point for me was just getting inspired by my great grandmother. Right. And, and, and there's other people along the journey who have inspired me who are no longer here. And so I think about, the decisions that that you made, the decisions that I made, the decisions that people have that ability to make, when you start to zoom out and think about the implications of people that are important to you, in particular, like your children, um, what kind of path are you are you are you carving for them? That that to me is one of the key insights that helped help me push forward during those tough times. It's like okay, at some point. They're going to be at a stage in life where they're going to need some a boost, and they're going to need to to dig a little bit deeper. Um, that fueled me in taking that next step, right? But but yeah, everything that you're saying there resonates uh, completely. Yeah. So so uh, just kind of uh, shifting a little bit here, like being being pushed is never enough, right? To to motivate us to action, right? So. There's there's no set of circumstances or mo- no emotional state that could have been bad enough to lead you to change your actions unless you had hope that a change of actions would lead to a change of this your circumstances. What gave you hope that changing your 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 actions or or taking some small step would make things better for you and also make things better for the world since you were going toward this kind of purpose-driven work from something that didn't seem as purpose-driven? Yeah. um, I wish I had a a really succinct response to that. I I mean, in reality, and not, you know, I don't want to make it sound 
easier or better than it was. When I when I initially left corporate, I had this um, this kind of light bulb moment that it was uh, fear of regret is greater than the comfort of inertia. And so I wrote, put yeah. it up on LinkedIn. That was like the first LinkedIn article that I put out there. And I was like, okay, that, that, that's kind of speaking to me. So I'm going to follow that. Um, initially I took time. I took roughly six months that I've affectionately referred to as my second adolescence to just reconnect with who I am and take myself out of the comfort zone to learn. And the way that I did that was deploying discovery techniques that, um, you know, before I was teaching financial advisors how to deploy discovery techniques with their, their prospects and their clients and using that methodology to, to get in front of people and learn. And so living in Seattle, you know, there's all these, these household brand names, Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, Gates Foundation, Zillow Redfin, et cetera. And getting in front of leaders and going in with no agenda, no motive, but to learn, right? So what do you do for leadership? How does that lead toward innovation? And through that conversation was finding topics like emotional intelligence and human-centered design and systems thinking, strengths-based positive psychology, and all this great stuff that was new to me at, at, at this stage in life, um, which was especially compelling. So having that having that that opportunity to do that i think gave me um gave me personal conviction and and hope that there is a recipe out there to combine that uh financial growth and personal growth to tether those two worlds together and bring the whole human in so um, this is yeah. th this is great segue then so can you talk a little bit about what connect 3x does what it has to offer and then like kind of updating that hope story what gives you hope that that value proposition is of value and and is is impactful and has has something to offer yeah yeah uh so Connect3x is a tech-enabled people platform that integrates total well-being with workplace performance. Connect3x actually stands for connect with self, connect with peers, connect with experts. Um, you know, 84% of the value in the S&P 500 is human capital. So we are a people-driven uh, you know, business society. But yet you hear these kind of platitudes that are thrown out, like people are our greatest asset and all that great stuff. But you look at the numbers and, you know, burnout's reaching all-time highs. Eight out of 10 people are experiencing some form of burnout. One out of three people are engaged in the United States and their work. Um, two out of 10 people feel connected to their organizational culture. And so kind of the intersection between all these um People are our greatest asset. 84% of the value is human capital. And the numbers there, it just doesn't pencil, right? It just doesn't pencil pre-pandemic. And then you go through uh, you go through just what we've gone through over the course of the last three years. And the, the whole human is more exposed, more transparent um, than ever before. So what we focus on is embedding well-being into the rhythm of business. 
We recognize that people have really great intentions, but implementation is hard, really, really hard, right? I mean, we all say we want to do it and win it, and all, but it's really hard. And so we've really taken a hard look at what's the rhythm of business and what are key moments, uh, micro moments that we can insert into the rhythm of business so that over the course of time, that human being, that team culture, that organization can sustainably change in a positive way, right? So it's not this one and done workshop. I think there's a lot of one and done workshops that have really good intentions. And then when the workshop comes to a close, it's like we just default back to our old ways. So we've really examined both what's the what's the current state of organizational culture? Uh, what's the current state of team culture? And how do we unpack the, you know, the rhythm of business without completely disrupting someone's kind of habits and routines and just slightly insert in a, in a very meaningful way, something that we call return on energy, right? Return on energy, you put a little bit of energy in, you'll get a little bit more out. But if you do that over the course of time, it's going to have a positive impact for you as a, as a, as a employee, for you as a human being, for your team, for your organization, for society at large. And so what are, what are some of the, so uh, if a, if a wealth management firm uh, leader is listening, um, what are some of the things that they have at their disposal now, um, regardless of size that could improve some of those wealth being outcomes or well-being outcomes? And then if, if an individual uh, is listening, maybe in wealth management, maybe not, what 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 are what what's at their disposal that they could do to kind of move move this well being uh, of them as either workers or them as just humans uh, forward? Yeah. So at the at the wealth manager at the organizational level, I think there's a lot of work that's been done on the client experience, right? If you ask, well, typically the 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 resources and the focus are directed toward the client experience which is important, obviously. Um, if that same energy was placed toward the employee experience, I think that's there's there's a there's an intersection between those two uh, where you'll find if you're spending as much energy or or more energy on the employee experience, there's room for improvement and actually it's a one plus one equals three. Um, also kind of related to that space is, um, you know, M&A. So we focus, uh, we have a, an entire solution set built around M&A. So we've actually examined what's the emotional state of the non-equity principles when they hear that, you know, that they're, they're getting acquired and they're going to move through this process. So what's the emotional state as they move through that change process? What are the external supports that they need? So there's one kind of broad example, and then there's one very tactical example right there. With the individual, uh, you know, I, I think with the individual, um, there's a couple things. So, so something that I'm very passionate about is, is Ikigai, obviously, right? That's why I go to market as I believe the world's only and first chief Ikigai officer. Um, Ikigai can be interpreted as your reason for being. So there's no direct English translation. Uh, it's been scientifically linked to longevity and happiness and productivity and creativity and all the good stuff. And if you if you really start to dig deep into your reason for being or or your purpose, 
Um, oftentimes, when we think about purpose, we're thinking about purpose in terms of existential, what am I on this planet to do, right? Rather than coming through the lens of a phrase, a Japanese phrase that I lean on called sikatsu, which means daily life. Mm. And essentially aligning your actions with your priorities on a daily basis. And if I can do that on a daily and have a lifetime of those days, I'm living my purpose. And so it suddenly takes this big, scary thing like purpose and brings it down into the moment and allows that individual, uh, that, that, that human being, that ability to take a small step. And it doesn't have to be huge, but just take that small step. And so I, I think a lot of it is just giving people the, the agency or the kind of helping them realize I have control here. And I can take a step and maybe it won't be the home run, but it's a, it's a small step toward, toward progress. Yeah. There's a, there's a book that I reference over and over again uh, called uh, stretch uh, author, Scott Sunshine. He talks about this idea of uh, stretching versus chasing mentalities to solve problems. And I've always thought that that applies really well to, to, uh, to approaching purpose, um, and and so the the idea is that if we see ourselves as kind of uh, resource constrained or or kind of resource limited, but make the assumption that we can affect whatever change that we want to affect or affect whatever problem that that we want to act upon with those constrained resources, rather than needing to chase new resources in order to affect that problem then that constraint, that resource constraint mentality leads to better problem solving, more creativity, empowerment, all sorts of, of, of good things. And so I, I, I hear you saying like this, this idea that we have access to uh, what we want or what we need or our reason for being on a daily basis just kind of helps uh, improve that, that individual's mindset and spirit and energy. Yeah. So one, one kind of concept or or mindset probably was a better way to describe it is that purpose ikigai is uh it's a verb it's not a noun mm. right so it's when we think of it as this destination point that we're striving to achieve to get to and you know the hedonic treadmill and all that research just tells us like we just keep going we get there and then we keep going we just it's part of the wiring in humans it's different when you think about it as I'm appreciating this moment, like we're right now, you and I are in a moment, right? And, and the fact that you can center yourself and be present and ground yourself and realize like, this is a moment. And actually this is part of my ikigai like right now talking to Toussaint that, 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 that's a very different perspective versus I got to get to that next click, that next milestone, that next thing. It's not to say that that isn't important, but, our ability to to get to those milestones, I think, are largely um, not dependent, but influenced by how uh, present and gra- grateful we are about these these key moments. Yeah, th- this is this present moment is the only reality available to us, right? Yeah. Like only truly truly available to us. And so, like, this is the perfect segue. Um, so, I like to to ask about um, kind of actionable steps, tiny steps. You've heard me talk about 1% changes. So these micro acts of courage uh, that people can take to move themselves or their organizations into well-being. What are some 1% changes or, or a micro act of courage that somebody could do right now 
um, in order to move themselves uh, closer to or their organization closer to a heightened sense of well-being. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think the first step is t- t- it's typically awareness, right? Reflection. Take inventory of where am I? Where where am I personally on this journey and where is my organization? Um, that could be something as simple as taking five to 10 minutes uh, to identify. I have a tendency to gravitate toward, we've, we've talked about this previously, gravitate toward values, right? What are the values that are most important to me? So I can have a foundation of intentionality. So that could be something as simple as, I'm going to think of an experience in my professional career or in my personal life that has been meaningful. Just saying that probably people can think of something right now. And I'm going to take five minutes to write down what that is and try to pull out one value that connects to that particular experience. So then that provides a foundation for decision-making. So one of my, so my three core values are uh, creativity, curiosity, and courage. And so now I've got this foundation for, how am I showing up? I kind of have a, a checkpoint. So that's one that's very simple. Um, you know, if t- to take even bigger steps, there are a number of different um, uh, like pulse checks or engagement surveys or just a simple sit down. That can be kind of big. Just sit down and have a 30 minute conversation with no particular agenda with the team beyond checking in. Right. How are people feeling? Um, so. I think those are those are smaller steps. The way that I would frame it, probably most important, is there is um, I like to think of it as there are three zones. There's the the comfort zone, there is the panic zone, and in between those two is the learning zone. Mm-hmm. And so we always try to operate typically in the comfort zone. We're just wired for comfort. Uh, if we view it as between comfort and panic, or between if if comfort and panic are too close, like as soon as things get a little bit uncomfortable, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I just can't, right? If you shift your mindset to realize outside of the comfort zone is learning mm. and immerse myself into that environment personally and within the organization with the team and kind of provide people permission, that permission, like, hey, we're going to take seven days to try something different. It may be horrible, but we're going to come back and we're going to learn from it. We're going to check that box and then we're going to try something new. I think it's that ongoing evolution of constant learning. That is powerful. Oh, I have so much I want to drill in on, but <laughs> I, I, I'll save myself. We'll, we'll jump offline here and, and keep going. I, my my last uh, question for you, uh, is what, what does uplifting mean to you? Yeah, I love this question. Um, well. I, I, I mean, first off, it really uplifting when I hear that, I think of you. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna shine that light back on you. I can't um, pay money through Zoom. You know that, right? <laughs> we're, we're not live. I'll drop my, I'll drop my Venmo into the chat. Um, By all means, continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think of you. I've, I, I mean, I have been a, uh, a, a student of, of yours and have learned a lot through you. Um, so when I hear uplifting, that immediately comes to mind. Um, you know, the second part of that is so I could kind of connects to purpose, right? So I always think that I use this quote often that Picasso said, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. 
right? Mm. And so I think of uplifting as that process of figuring out, not figuring out, realizing, like realizing that we all have unique talents and gifts and strengths and experiences and realizing that, not finding it. I think we all have it. Yeah. It's like Michelangelo said about David, it was in there. He just had to, you know, chip away the chip away the rock to get to it. Like that's a very different mentality than thinking I got to chip away the rock to find it or to, to make this thing. So I think of it that way. Um, and then once I have a, a baseline, I think we're always learning, but this baseline of who we are, then in alignment with values in many ways, how do I express those talents and those those uh, gifts and that experience in a way that helps others? And that could be the world, that could be your children, that could be your neighborhood, doesn't just helps others. Um, so that's that's where my mind goes when I think of uh, uplifting. Sam, I so deeply appreciate you, man. It is an honor uh, to be in community, to be your friend, and to, to learn from you. You you are uplifting, so thank you. Likewise, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and click the notification button so you never miss an episode.